1: When you hear about people throwing out phrases like the world stopped or I saw stars, I always thought it sounded like a bit of bullshit. But as I shook this woman's hand, the electric current that ran between us was instantaneous. Energy ran between us or perhaps just coming from my end. It was as close to an out-of-body experience as I could have ever imagined and I'd never felt anything like it before in my life. Time stood completely still, and yes, I am now one of those people who says that stars surrounded her in slow motion.
0: Sophie Katya is the co-founder of Australian sleepwear company Katya. Sophie is an online digital marketing expert and is known for her blog, The Young Mummy. Today I'm talking to Sophie Katya about her book, and then there was her. Sophie Katya, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: As I shook this woman's hand, the electric current that ran between us was instantaneous. How do you regard that moment now and what part did writing this book play in reconciling or reassessing those aspects of your life?
1: I still recall that moment like it was yesterday and I I don't think I'll ever forget that because it was certainly a first for me. I'd fallen in love with my husband at such a young age and I think what I've learned now is The love that I felt as a teenager and as, you know, what I now realize is still a very young woman compared to later in my 20s when I was at a stage where I was really just only starting to discover myself. I felt real feelings. I didn't just feel crushes or, you know, a bit of lust over someone. That moment will forever stand in my mind as, like I say, an instantaneous out-of-body experience, you know, I sit here now and if I close my eyes, I can certainly still feel those those currents that I talk about.
0: You go on to say that whilst my then conditioned brain hadn't labelled her as pretty, she was without a doubt the most strikingly beautiful person I'd ever seen in my life. I wondered, in experiencing that moment and in your subsequent experience, how has your sense of what is attractive and or what is feminine changed?
1: I do recall being confused by my attraction to her because she was very masculine. She actually reminded me so much of my husband in so many ways, her beautiful tanned olive skin, her biceps, you know, big veins bulging out of her hands and her, her mannerisms were very masculine. And my, my brain was confused because I was so attracted to her, yet she had this beautiful feminine face. And that's why I'm so grateful that my life has taken me down this path because something I have learned and experienced both sexually and emotionally whilst being part of the gay community was I am actually attracted to such a variety of humans. I had grown up as a straight woman with blinkers on. I had a very specific type of man that I was attracted to. He was tall, he was dark haired, he was muscly, but I can now stand here and like I said, emotionally and sexually, I've experienced such a wide variety of humans that it's it's taught me so much about the human inside rather than the external feature. And I think that that growth that I've been able to have is, has simply made me a better person in my life.
0: Talking about your husband, your husband, Jared Katja, your book actually begins with your former husband's account of the changes in your relationship, Why did you choose his voice as the starting point for this book?
1: It was really important for me to firstly ask Jared if he was comfortable to do that, and I think that's because I have lived out, you know, the majority of the last decade online where readers, fans, um, people with interest have heard my words, they've heard my side of things, or perhaps they've felt that I have molded things to sound certain ways and I'm such a huge believer in authenticity and storytelling and living an honest life that I thought I can't tell this story without Jared telling his it just didn't it didn't feel credible because again it would have been very one-sided so I approached Jared and thought what a great way to start the book because again like I said a lot of my followers and fans have heard parts of my story they've heard sides of it and I thought what an interesting aspect for not only them but for myself as well to read Jared's experiences in his words to help them understand but to also help me understand as well.
0: If we can talk about your earlier life for a moment and you just mentioned that you lived a lot of your life online and your blog The Young Mummy had been described as warts and all. And I wondered what, if anything, has changed the way you present yourself and both privately and publicly.
1: Whilst I still do live a very authentic life um, and very confident in the person I am, I think I was I was very young then, and I was certainly okay to share a lot of my life. I have evolved as a woman, and I think that's okay. I have changed, which is okay. I do talk about that a lot in my book. People are scared of change or people are uncomfortable when others change around them. For me now, I, I'm certainly just in a different place. Like I'm a business owner now. I've got older children now who don't necessarily always want to be on my phone or in photos or in pictures. My time is taken up now a lot with after-school basketball or spending time with my now fiancé. So I think my focuses are different, but I'm, I'm still internally the same Sophie but I just am more selective about certain things that I do share because I've realized that life is hard it doesn't always go the way you think it's going to go so I did I did make a shift there in, in the amount I shared and I put that down to purely because for a while there in my life I didn't know what was going on so I needed to sort of pull back a little bit to figure it out for myself.
0: Do you think you now value your privacy more? What do you now want people to know about you and also not to know about you?
1: I definitely do value the beauty and privacy now. I have a lot more to consider now. I have, like I said, older kids. I have another fiance that, you know, that's her family and my family. And online, it can be a very dangerous platform that if, if followers do feel like you're hiding something from them, they think that you're lying about something or they think that something's something's going on whether they need to view it as my workplace and you know if you're sitting in an office right you don't know every single detail about every single person's private life so if I am not um, sharing something or you suspect that you know what's this or what's that that's purely because I don't want to share it and and I have struggled with that entitlement that does come with the social platform and and the followers that do believe they're entitled to every possible facet of my life and maybe that's my fault because I did that for so long I think it's about now protecting my children it's protecting my relationship and the reality is is people people will always think they know based on you know a few little squares that I share but the reality is is if I'm sharing 10 stories a day that's you know it's two minutes of a 24-hour day so um For me, it's still that I'm still the same Sophie, but I do, I really do value that privacy. And I, I have a lot more people to protect now than I think 20 year old Sophie did.
0: You're the youngest of a family of four girls. Would you say you were a typical girl, if there is such a thing?
1: No, especially back then, perhaps now I would have been but back then, no. So you know, we were all brought up to to play netball and I was very, very talented at netball, but I was always playing cricket. I was always with a footy in my hand. Um, even throughout primary school and high school, I was one of the boys, always hanging out with the boys. I didn't want to sit around with the girls and talk about the party on the weekend. I wanted to be kicking the footies. So I do joke that you know, my dad was involved in footy for so long. He's pushed out or <laughs> mum's pushed out her fourth girl that I became his little boy experiment, but it does certainly um suit my personality um that way so it's really funny that stereotypically you know at female athletes uh and this is not my words but you know there is a stereotype out there that basketballers or footy players or rugby you know are all lesbians and my sisters and I would say statistically one of us is going to be gay who's it going to be <laughs> and it's like oh well sorry i'll take that one so as No, as a little girl, I, I don't ever recall doing stereotypically little girl things, no. I don't recall Barbies. I don't recall dress-ups very much. I, I do remember a lot of cricket and a lot of footy.
0: And you now have children of your own, of course. I wondered what approach you took with your own children about the way your personal circumstances had changed.
1: Prior to, you know, any of my life changing, prior to thoughts of separation coming in Jared and I have been extremely open and honest with our children about life and that a huge part of that was welcoming um, all humans in all forms whether that was um, LGBTQIA plus community whether that was disabilities whether that was people of color we would always say hi you know this is cool look at this that person's in a wheelchair how cool they can go really fast and so I think Whether some parents and for so long, and I know I certainly was brought up with it, it was like, oh, don't talk about that. You know, my daughter will very often say, oh, mommy, look at her brown skin. And instead of shushing her, I'm saying, I know, isn't she beautiful? Um, Look at her beautiful brown skin. So I recall in those moments sort of being shushed like it was taboo, like don't talk about it, which then implies that there's something wrong with it then again, that's creating a narrative that that there's something, you know, don't make them feel uncomfortable. There's nothing wrong with that person. They're simply in a wheelchair. So they're, they're still a human. So we've always approached our children in that manner. So again, when the separation began to unravel, and then, you know, my attraction to women began to unravel, and I started to date women, it flowed really naturally into our parenting style anyway. So there wasn't such a shock to the system with our kids because we had been so open and transparent about the ways of living um, for so long. So it it did certainly make it an easier adjustment.
0: The way we all view sexuality and relationships is changing pretty radically and people I've been talking to lately are questioning the whole idea of what we might call a life partner. Is there or could there ever be such a thing for you?
1: For me, um, I think emotionally yes sexually no I love the idea of monogamy and I think it's beautiful I certainly do think and I know it can exist for other people because I've seen it um for myself I I love the idea of spending your life with someone to share in the memories and the you know the heartache and the the roller coaster of life um but I Do I think it's natural sexually? No, that's not to say that I I can't be monogamous. I absolutely can be. But I do think that humans have proved time and time again with infidelity is one of the main reasons for divorce, um, that monogamy is not a natural act. No.
0: So what do you think is the measure of a good relationship?
1: A lot of people will tell you that, you know, all you need is love. And I don't believe that at all. Because Jared and I still love each other so much, just not romantically. I think from my experiences so far and something that I'll continue to learn is open communication and respect. They are greater than love, I believe, because you can love someone and still not respect them. You can love someone and treat them terribly. But if you respect someone, I think you know, that ultimately is going to shape how your relationship plays out. So open communication, the ability to listen, Um, And that comes with respecting them as well.
0: Later in the book, you bring up the topic of mental health and you say, at the age of 14, I built up the courage to tell my mum one night in the kitchen that I wanted to see a psychologist. You then go on to say, some people are so self-aware and others are in complete denial. Which one are you?
1: Uh, Now I'm very self-aware, very, but again, You know, this book is all about my personal experiences that I've um, had throughout my life, and I know I've certainly had and still have family members that just are in complete denial about any issues that they may be facing. Um, I've had friends, and I do love, though, that this whole taboo, you know, um, feeling around mental health is changing. You know, I feel like every person I talk to now we're discussing What treatment we're having or what medication we're on or how's your anxiety today and it's I do do remember my dad saying to me oh I feel like everyone has depression these days I said no dad they always did but people are just more comfortable to talk about it now that's why it feels that way um so I'm extremely self-aware I'm extremely in tune with my energy and with off feelings, pinpointing what my anxiety is from. And if I can't find a trigger, then I'm back at my doctor talking about it.
0: Do you think everybody needs a good psychologist?
1: (laughs) Everyone. Um, I think everyone needs to talk a lot more. Yes. Now, whether that's to a professional or to a family member, to a confidant, I think everyone does need to talk a lot more. Yes.
0: I've just got one more question for you, Sophie. Well, it's in two parts. What do you want women to take from this book? And what do you want men to take from this book?
1: Um, I'll start with men first. I think, um, again, going back to what I said about actually trying to understand a person and that's understanding them as they evolve as well. So if you're in a relationship, the person that you married might unintentionally be someone else a decade later. You know, I, I talk about my attraction to women. It wasn't like one day I woke up and flicked that switch on the wall and I said, oh, I feel like being a lesbian today. It was a natural course of my life that happened. Yes, I, I probably could have put a stop to certain actions in my life. But would that have been Sophie living her authentic life? No, which is everything I'm against. So um, welcoming change. I think for both men and women welcoming change um, whilst it might be uncomfortable a lot of change in our life is completely out of our control and that's just part of growing and and moving through life but for women I think we always do talk about it and I say it in my book that this this quote of oh we've got one life you've only got one life to do it but we often don't actually do any of the things we want to so I'm really proud of myself for Taking a chance I never had the answer then and part of my life I, I don't have the answers, but I will always chase what I think you know is exciting or that you know I, I could have stayed I could have stayed and been a, a good mom and, and a good wife and protected my children's feelings but now my feelings my children get to um, look at their mom and see that she chased happiness she's happier than ever that our family dynamic has worked out beautifully and that everyone can still love and respect each other so that's what my, my children get to see now. So for women, I think it's whether it's job, relationship, friendships, don't be scared of change and don't be scared of the unknown too.
0: Well, there's certainly a lot to explore in this book. And Sophie kachia thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast.
1: Thanks so much. That was great.
0: I've been talking to Sophie kachia about her new book and then there was her. It's published by Simon & Schuster and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. Subscribe to Good Reading Print and online magazine at goodreadingmagazine.com.au.